Our reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, which is on page 1002 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, if you can keep your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 4, and there's a simple outline on the back of the service sheet that will be a good guide uh, for us. Now, this is really serious stuff, and uh, I want to exhort you as I exhort myself really to listen. It uh, matters a lot. Let's pray for an attentive heart. Our Father, we pray that you would help us really to listen whether we are here in the building or listening online. This is important stuff for our journey through this life and indeed for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Now, I'm not just saying what I just said because it's cold and because I want you to listen uh, to me. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen with me to God's word. This is really important stuff, serious stuff. Now, we're in the section of Hebrews from chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 5, verse uh, 10. And the focus of that section, this is all about pressing on in the Christian life with the ultimate goal in view. And that goal in view is entering God's rest. Now, we're going to define what God's rest uh, means. Uh, To keep on running the race This is the focus of this section that is the Christian life in order to reach the goal that is God's uh, rest. Now, we're looking at the section from 3.7 to 5.10 over four weeks, really to bed in the applications of it today, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Three points, the goal, the warning, the exhortations. First, the goal. What is the goal of the Christian life? It is to enter God's 
rest. Now, rest is mentioned a number of times in our passage. Just look with me at verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, 4.9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. These are three of many references to God's rest in our verses. And all three of these references that I have highlighted speak about God's rest as something in the future. Now, for the original recipients of this letter, and for us, God's rest is in the future. Now, the argument in the center of our verses is, uh, is quite intricate. Uh, the reference back to the time of the Exodus and the quotation from Psalm 95. And the point of that, and I'm not going to go into the details because I want to get to the application, is that the promised land of Canaan, back in the history of God's people, was described as rest, where God's people found rest from their enemies and protection and the presence of God, but it wasn't ever meant to be the ultimate rest. It was a shadow or a foreshadow of the ultimate rest that is uh, heaven or the new creation. God's rest, that's what God's rest is. It is heaven or the new creation or heaven and the new creation. And uh, this is important and in some ways very obvious, although our lives as Christians sometimes contradict this, we're not there yet. We're not in heaven. We're not living in a new creation. We're still on the journey to the promised rest. It is in the future. Now, what is the rest? It's a strange and unfamiliar term, perhaps, for us. What is it that was foreshadowed by the promised land of Canaan, but it wasn't ever to be the ultimate rest? What is the ultimate goal? What is the goal? Now, I've already said it is the new heaven and the new earth or the new creation, but the writer to the Hebrews uh, helps us see that by uh, referring in verse 9, if you have a look at that, to a, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, what does Sabbath mean? It means to cease, to end, to rest. That's what Sabbath means, to cease, to end, and to rest. And through the Bible, Sabbath is linked to the seventh day after the six days of creation. And our writer in Hebrews makes that link. So verse 4 of our passage, 
He writes, for he, God, has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now that somewhere he spoke is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Now turn back there, it's just our one cross-reference. And we go there because the writer to the Hebrews goes there. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And this is the conclusion of the Bible's account of creation. And Hebrews is quoting from that foundational chapter in the Bible. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, there's that word rest, on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in uh, creation. Now, just hold on to that. And go back to Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, he speaks about Sabbath rest and he points us back to God's intent at creation by quoting from uh, Genesis 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. Now, just to say as an aside that I take Genesis. 1, 1 to 2, 3 is a description of the fact of God's creation. God created the heavens and the earth and humanity, but expressed in the Bible in a poetic or figurative way, a creation hymn, if you like. And in the Bible's account of creation, there is a distinction between days 1 to 6 and day 7. Days 1 to 6 in creation have a beginning and an end the repeated refrain, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth, fifth, and sixth day. But the seventh day in the Bible's account of creation has no end. And the seventh day is about rest. The goal of creation was rest. Not because God was tired, That's not what rest means. Rest means to relish or to experience or to live in enjoyment of. His perfect creation, especially his fellowship with humanity created in his image, that was God's goal in creation, eternal rest. And the reason the writer to the Hebrews points back to creation is to draw a link between God's goal in creation, which was rest, and God's goal in salvation, which is also rest. It's the restoration of rest, an eternal rest in creation, and then of course the fall and rebellion of humanity, and salvation restores that future to us, a promised rest again, a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. That's his uh, argument. And we read about the new creation, the new heaven, and the new earth uh, throughout the Bible, 
and uh, uh, especially in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Now, I've gone through that quickly because I want to get to the applications. The goal of the Christian life. If you are a Christian, you are on a journey to God's rest, which is heaven and the new creation. If you want to know what it's like, well, look at the beginning of the Bible. It has continuity with God's intent at creation before our rebellion and the fall of this world. And if you look at the end of the Bible, it describes uh, the new creation. Now, one or two dangers when we think of God's rest, and that we misunderstand the term rest. Um, and you can talk about this in your uh, small groups. I think perhaps it has negative connotations of, I don't know, perfect idleness or um, holy boredom. Nothing to do but sit around. And we must get all these caricatures out of our minds. What it means is a world without sin, sickness and death, in a perfect loving fellowship with our fellow humanity and with God. The enjoyment of creation. The enjoyment of God and our fellowship with each other. That's what the goal is in our lives. Second danger is that we fail to appreciate the relative time scales involved. What I mean by that is that our time and journey in this fallen world is very brief. What Ecclesiastes calls a breath. 70, 80 years, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter. That's our time on the journey. And if you become a Christian when you're 10, take 10 years off that journey. And if you become a Christian when you are 60 or 30, the time from when you become a Christian to the time of your uh, death in this world is the time of your journey to that rest, which is heaven, and beyond that, the new creation. One of the real challenges in our Christian lives is to get the proportions right. Eternity compared to a breath. So think eternity. It's hard to do that. Third danger is that we think we are already there. We are not in heaven. Here we are in a building that's, well, not well. Surrounded by a building site. It's freezing cold. We're not in heaven. And I bet you that in every one of your lives, there's stuff that reminds you every single day you are not in heaven and you are not living in a new creation. And many of you are just young. We're not in heaven. We're not in the new creation. 
We're on a journey to it, but we're not there yet. One of the great things that studying the Word of God does is it faces us with truth. And that is so liberating. There is no spin. There are no sound bites. We are on a journey to heaven, to the new creation, but we are not there yet. Now, let me just put in a footnote and a question. Is there not a now in the Christian life? We're talking about what's not yet, but is there not a now? And is that now not uh, good? Yes, there is, and yes, it is. For example, Jesus, speaking about conversion, uses the language of rest. So here's Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you uh, rest. That's the language of uh, heaven. Or in our short series at the start of our time on gatherings on Sundays, we learned that a local church is an outpost of heaven. Our experience of fellowship with one another in a church family and with God is a foretaste of heaven. Now, it is. There is a now. But the writer to the Hebrews is at pains to make it clear that the now is nothing like the not yet. And we must hold on to that. We must work with these analogies all the time. You know, you go for student lunch, link up lunch today, or come to our house for lunch. I mean, it'll be nice, but it's not like heaven. Life is not like heaven. Now, this is a section of Hebrews that for many people questions their assurance. That's not what it will do if we listen to God's word. What it will do is build your assurance for there is such a blessing when the Bible describes stuff as it really is. It describes the journey to the goal, which is rest, heaven, and the new creation, as it actually is. The Christian life, the race towards the goal, is hard. It is arduous. There are many challenges, and uh, we need to know that lest we are under any delusion or false pretenses. So last night, um, to clear my fuddled mind, I decided to walk up to the top of the Pentlands while reading a book. So I was working, walking, and there's a particular route up the Pentlands from Dreghorn that's a, a kind of road track that I think military folk use and farmers. And I was walking up this road track, reading the book, and, uh, which is not something to be advised because you don't see where you're going. And it was steep. And uh, the wind was pretty ferocious. And I was reading about this stuff, reading about the Christian life. And it was just like a metaphor for how it is. A hard road. That's what the Bible says life 
is like. There are flat bits and down bits and sunshine, but much of it is uphill. Now that's the goal, entering God's rest. We're not there yet. It's a wonderful future, heaven and the new creation. And let me encourage us in our small groups and in our discussions to think perhaps a little more about eternity than we do. Think about the new creation. Think about heaven. Think about a world that is totally different from this world. This world cannot be fixed. It needs to be recreated. It will be. It'll be resurrected. We're never going to get rid of the experience of sin and sickness and death in this world, that the root cause of it has been dealt with through Christ, but for it to be realized, this world, when Christ returns, will need to be recreated, made new. That's where we're headed. And it will be wonderful. It's hard to grasp that, to gauge that, but it will. The Bible promises it, it will. We're so used to thinking what is wonderful is the very best of this life and the very best of this world. It is way, way surpassing uh, that. Now, that's the goal. Here's the warning that we do not get there or that we do not get in. That's the warning in Hebrews. And the reference to the time of the Exodus and the promised land of Canaan through the lens of Psalm 95 in our text is a reference to a particular period in the history of God's people where disobedience and not listening to God and turning away from him meant that they did not enter God's rest. Now, then it was the promised land. And a whole generation of God's people, in spite of the miraculous deliverance from Egypt, their salvation and the promises of rest in the promised land looked back to the world, to their former life, and wanted that. And God did not allow them to enter into rest. And that's what happened. And it's a warning to us. Now, let's just uh, read carefully the warnings in our passage. Let me find Hebrews again. So, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That's a warning. Verses 6 and 7. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, 
And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. There's the warning of disobedience. Again, he, God, appoints a certain day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then verse 11, another warning. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, it is clear from these verses that through our disobedience, through our lack of faith, we may not enter heaven and the new creation. That's what it says. That's what Hebrews is saying. And I told you, you needed to listen. This is challenging stuff. It is unnerving stuff. And we might question such a statement. What about Christian assurance? What about Romans 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. What about 1 Peter chapter 1? Heaven, the new creation, is kept for us and we are kept for it. Are these statements not contradictory? Now, both are in the Word of God. And there is a tension. And we must listen to both. There was a young lad who came to the first service, a student, who is going to come to Chalmers, and he heartened me no end when I said, why are you coming? He says, because you teach through Bible books and do not miss out the hard bits. And that's not an affirmation of us. It's simply an obedience to the Word of God. This is a hard bit in Scripture. There's tensions in Scripture, not contradictions. We need to hear both. If you were to read a little letter like Jude, Jude will say, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. And in the middle it says, God keeps you. We keep on, he keeps us. And what Hebrews is saying is not hypothetical. It is not a potential scenario, it is real. And we need to face the fact. I was up at a wedding for the last couple of days in Ferentosh on the Black Isle. And I, was, I met somebody and was told about him who, when he was your age, was a keen Christian. And now is so hard to the gospel that he would not even open his mouth in the songs and hymns in a wedding. People who were once keen, zealous, committed, turn away. It may not be in a dramatic way. A step leads to another step. Leads to not listening to God. To drifting further away until our hearts are hard. Some come back wonderfully. Others don't. 
it is real. And we must heed the warning. Warning from the past, from history, like uh, that referred to in Psalm 95. Warning from the lives of people we know and warnings from the seeds in our own lives. And perhaps for someone here or listening, an important warning right now. Now, thirdly, let's turn to the exhortations. This section of Hebrews has a string of exhortations to press on in the Christian life. Last week, we looked at chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Let me just uh, read that again. It just puts uh, this along with the exhortations in our passage. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. And in our passage, chapter 4, verse 1. The exhortation, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, here's the exhortation, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to enter rest. And then 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter the rest. So three exhortations, take care, let us fear, and let us strive. Take care. There is no place for casualness in a Christian life. Let us fear. There is no place for presumption. Let us strive. There is no place for laxness. Now, don't confuse any of this with the battle every day with sin. It's not what this is talking about. If you are indifferent to the battles with sin, then this passage in Hebrews should really unnerve you. But if you are battling on and struggling on in a Christian life, ever alerted by your conscience, ever challenged, growing, then this passage in Hebrews will add to your Christian assurance. I think that's right. It does for me, and I hope it does for you. For in honesty, when you hear these exhortations as a Christian to take care, to fear God, His holiness, His sovereignty, to take seriously the things of God, to strive in the Christian life, two things happen. You are sent to these marks as right and wise. And secondly, you are sent to them in your experience. There are others around you who are helping you to take care, to be vigilant in the Christian life. There's a right fear of God. He is our Father, but He is our Sovereign. 
He is Almighty God. Our commitment, loyalty to Him uh, matters and striving. That keen zealousness to be with the people of God, to listen to God's Word, to serve, to share in our faith. These are the marks of genuineness that do not rob us of assurance. They give us assurance. Now, practically, they work themselves out in a life of ongoing repentance, not a life of sinlessness. Now, please be careful not to confuse the two. You know, if we all came up behind the lectern here, one after, I'd go first, one after one, and actually tell everyone the thoughts and attitudes and actions in our lives, it would be terribly embarrassing, wouldn't it? But if we rephrased it and said, look, there are people around me who are helping me to take care. I am frightened of the world of flesh and the devil and its impact and its lure and its entire. I'm worried about how so easily I can take a step away and a step becomes a yard and a so on. I'm worried, I'm fearful of that. And I'm striving to make progress. Well, that's genuine Christian living. Uh, let me just, if you've got the Bible, turn to Hebrews 12. It just unpacks this a little more. What is it like to be striving or genuine? Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. So, uh, Drooping hands or weariness and weak knees uh, are not alien to the Christian life. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That is not an exhortation to reach a state of sinless perfection in this life. It is knowing that Christ has given us his righteousness, but that righteousness, that holiness is worked out in the gym of the spiritual life as we journey up that hill, pilgrims making progress to the rest that is the new creation. And if you read on, it talks about stuff like sexual immorality. Just pay attention to that stuff in your lives. That's what it's saying. Now, I want to suggest that for many of us, this description of taking care, fearing, and striving is a description of our lives. And let me say for the third time, that does not mean to say victory over sin. It could be an endless struggle in a battle. Yes, there are victories. 
but we're not in heaven yet. Then I hope along with the great promises of assurance in places like Romans 8 and 1 Peter 1, that you do not see these as contradictory, but you see these as both and the same, all part of God's words to keep us on the journey to heaven and the new creation and rest. But if these concepts like care, taking care, fear that you do not enter, and striving do not describe you, then you really, really need to consider why. Lest you do not enter heaven and the new creation. The goal, the warning, the exhortations, and finally, an application to Chalmers as a church family. One of the the wonderful, wonderful truths we've stumbled on as a team as we've prepared to preach on Hebrews is that the language is habitually corporate. It's as if the letter is written to a group of Christians in a local church like Chalmers. Take care chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you. So think of those around you. You are caring for them as they are caring for you. What do you do for one another and to one another? You exhort one another every day. You encourage one another. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you, let us, us, any of us, any of you, let us for 11 strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You see how valuable and vital a living local church is so that none of us will fail to enter that rest because around us there are others. We are an us. There is no lone ranger Christian who is going to get up to the top of that mountain. There might be some, but I couldn't. I knew last night as I was walking up the hill in the parallel, the parody, that today I would see you and we'd be together. Maybe that's a kind of, you think, what? He doesn't really mean that. I really do mean that. We need each other. Let us, let us, let us encourage, exhort, warn, Pray for one another. We do not journey to the eternal rest alone. We journey along with our fellow believers in a local church. Now, next week and the week after, off the back of this challenge, we will uh, meditate on two wonderful provisions God makes for us on the journey Number one, 
which is verses 12 and 13, the Word of God. And number two, in the verses that follow, the person of Jesus Christ as the mediator, as the interceder between us and God. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would speak to all of our hearts, encouraging us if these traits are true in our lives, challenging us if they are not. Help us to encourage and challenge one another so that no one amongst us will fail to enter into heaven and the new creation because of disobedience or walking away. Father, we pray for any on our hearts now who have walked away. And we pray that in your mercy, you would bring them back. Help us to seek after them and warn them and encourage them. We pray too, Lord Jesus, for any on our hearts right now who are not even on the journey, who are heedlessly walking through life without any concept of eternity. Open their eyes in your grace to see the truth and to believe in Jesus. And for us all, the watchword of these chapters today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So today, Lord Jesus, may our hearts, as we hear your words, soften a little more and not harden at all. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.